some of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Dave, and uh, I run a multi-site church in uh, Sheffield in England, which is the very centre of England, and uh, and my hometown is Brisbane, and uh, we moved over 28 years ago um, to Sheffield, and since then we've just got a head down, tail up, and um, and just created lots of different locations of Hope City Church. The the latest one that we planted was in Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. And none of us had ever been there before. We just uh, saw it on a map and thought that would be a great, great place to go to. So we parachuted in about seven or eight people, uh, more like six or seven people, into Kuala Lumpur and, uh, and said, just start a church. And that's what they've done. And every week I see the photographs and I think, wow, what, what faith and what an outcome simply from taking a risk. And I think sometimes, sometimes we think everything is so certain in God, but sometimes God just says, hey, have a go. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 6, it says, sow your seed in the morning. And then it says, sow your seed at night. For you just don't know which will succeed, whether this or that or both will do equally well. And, uh, you know, and even you being here tonight, and if you're brand new uh, to North Perth, um, sow your seed in the morning if it doesn't work. Sow your seed at night. And somewhere along the line, between the morning and night, something's going to succeed because, because you've stepped out of the boat and you faced your fear. And uh, I said a couple of nights ago, everybody wants to be a legend in their lounge room, but it's not your destiny. It's easy to put on a cape and look like Superman if you're the only person in the room. But God wants you to um, be a legend in the land. He's got a destiny and a plan for every single one of you. And, uh, and you want to rise into that. It's not good enough. You, 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 it's not good enough just for you to have two BFFs and, uh, and uh, just be successful at work. God wants you to be successful at life. And uh, churches like this will take you there. It just, you're going to have to be courageous. You're going to have to give it a go. You're going to have to just start sowing seeds somewhere along the timeline. And, uh, and success will come your way, whether from this or whether from something else. But you're well on the road being here tonight to seeing uh, you achieve some great things in God. Uh, I love some people. I love N- Nicole, who's here from Queen's Beach, and husband, is it Steve? Steve as well. I just think they're glorious people, don't you? And, uh, and uh, from C3 Queen's, I don't even know where it is, but it sounds good. It sounds a bit mysterious, Queen's Beach, you know, as if pirates used to live there or something like that. And... Uh, <laughs> and I've just spent a lot of time with Ben and Karen, and Ben and Karen are the um, executive pastors of C3. I call it Double H, Hepburn Heights, and it's the mothership. And uh, and by the looks of them, if, if they are who who I feel that they are, the mothership is in good hands. You know, I think you're fabulous, just fabulous. <laughs> um, I I was going to start with some differences between men and women. And uh, maybe just to, maybe just to, I don't know, like just to, so you can, uh, you know, have a little bit of a preamble to the preach and that. If, um, if a, I've just, I've got, I want to start with a conundrum, right? If a man's in a forest, in a forest, and he's all alone, and there's no woman present for miles, so he's just on his own, there's, there's uh, no women present for miles, right? And he expresses an opinion. Is he still wrong? It's a conundrum, isn't it? Like, I, I got no answer to it. I'm, 
I'm, I'm always wrong at home, just always in the wrong, you know? So I, I just figure it's probably true. It's probably true. I've got some six differences between men and women. Um, uh, a man will pay uh, ten, ten, a tenner, um, ten bucks, right, for something that's worth a fiver if it, if, if it really means something to him. A woman will pay a fiver for something that's a tenner just because it's on sale. <laughs> and I'm quite, I'm quite amazed uh, at... Um, how women love a sale, and they can't keep the price of what they're wearing secret to anyone who comes up. I, I'm just quite amazed, you know, when I, if ever I give a compliment to a woman saying, gosh, that top looks so good on you, the first thing that comes back is, guess how much? <laughs> and it's, it's very tricky to know, to know what to do next, right? And I usually just start really high just to play the game, you know, and and I go, what, a hundred bucks? They go, no. I go, well, hundred and ten bucks. And they go, no. And I said, well, I, I wouldn't have a clue. They go, a fiver from Target, you know. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, this beautiful top looks like cheap stuff from a cheap store in the, in their town. Um, a man has five items in his bathroom. Generally, toothpaste, toothbrush, razor, shampoo, and a towel. An average woman has 337 items in their bathroom, of which a man can only identify 20. Uh, number three, a woman has the last word in, in any argument, um, and anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. It's very hard arguing with a woman, you know. Uh, number four, a uh, woman will dress up to go shopping, dress up to feed the cat, dress up to put the wheelie bean out, uh, dress up to go to the bank. A man will dress up for weddings. Um, number five, uh, a woman will take time each morning to look beautiful. A man wakes up as good looking as he actually went to bed. So he thinks. And number six, a woman knows all about her children. When the dental appointments are, when the, she knows the sports calendar, she knows the favorite foods, she knows the friends' favorite foods, she knows their fears, she knows their hopes and dreams. A man is vaguely aware of some short people living in his house. <laughs> it shouldn't be funny, but it is funny, isn't it? There's something very common that men have with each other. In, in being slightly vague. Um, we went to Australia, I said 28 years ago, and we first landed, we did like a spy out the land uh, time, and we flew out at Christmas, in Christmas in 1990. And uh, we arrived at Heathrow Airport, and um, I don't know, I think our itinerary was flimsily done, so we arrived, at, I think you arrived generally from Australia about 6 a.m. at Heathrow. And uh, the person who's meant to be picking us up just didn't arrive. And so we're kind of standing there, little, feeling a little bit uh, forgotten about, and uh, then we, we, we had one scratched out phone number. And uh, so he phoned up, there was no answer. And, uh, and so our hearts dropped and we thought we're 10,000 miles away from anybody that we knew. And we had no other contacts in England. And so we just stood beside the telephones at Heathrow Airport and just prayed. And it was a very quick prayer, help. 
And, uh, and within about three seconds, a, a man, a fully grown man came up to us. And he said, are you guys in trouble? And uh, it's risky to carry on a conversation with a total stranger uh, because we're taught to never do it. And, and, he, and we said, well, the person that was meant to be picking us up isn't here. And so we just don't know what to do. He said, where do you want to go to? And we didn't have a clue where we were going to. So is that badly organized? And, and he said, what you need is a B&B. And by, at that stage, nobody knew what a B&B was in Australia. And now we all know about Airbnb. But back in those days, I thought, a B&B? What is a B&B? And he said, I'll take you to Beaconsfield, to a B&B in Beaconsfield, if you've got the courage to come with me. So we checked him up and down, checked his back pockets, make sure there's no dagger, make sure there's not a flick knife. And, and so we took a chance. And then he, he directed us into the car park at Heathrow Airport and, uh, and to his Jaguar, his Jaguar, and uh, flicked open the boot, put our stuff in the boot, and took us to Beaconsfield. And, and, uh, you know, and then the conversation, we said, well, why, why is this happening? You know? And he said, well, he's, he's the chauffeur to a rich businessman who happened to come into Heathrow Airport an hour earlier than the time that he was meant to come in. And so the chauffeur was there with nobody to pick up. Um, and he was just there. He said, I was just there killing time until I saw you. But the mystery is that, that, that he wasn't actually killing time. In the sovereign purposes of God, he was actually waiting for us. This was God's chauffeur ride for two Aussies who dared to travel 10,000 miles to a strange land. Let's face it, to a strange land, God had a chauffeur service ready for us. Can you say amen? And, you know, we were the right people in the right place at the right time. And I think that, that you are more right than wrong. That even through the failings of your life, even through the mishaps, even through the misfortunes, you're more right than you are wrong. You're the right person in the right place at the right time. And I want to talk about that because throughout human history, people have found themselves in the right place at the right time and extraordinary things happened. Um, if, we, if we travel back in time to Florence in Italy in 1466 and look through the window of an art studio, you'd find a 14-year-old called Leonardo da Vinci nervously ready and waiting on the first day of his apprenticeship. 14 years of age. Who knew he had no clue that he'd become the greatest artist, the greatest futurist the world has ever seen. But who knew? He was just sitting there, 14 years of age, in an art studio. But he was on a collision course with destiny. He was the right person in the right place at the right time. If we fly by Alabama in 1955, December the 1st, and look through the window of a bus you'd be fixated on a black woman called Rosa, arguing with the bus driver, refusing to give a seat up for a white passenger. And it became so confrontational that the word Rosa Parks became famous and synonymous with the first lady of civil rights. Who knew? Who knew her not giving up her seat to a white woman would 
toss over this incredible bulwark of racism and cause the Spirit of Christ to be outpoured. It was just on a bus, but she was the right person on the right bus at the right time. And it's the same with every one of you. You're not on the wrong bus right now. You're the right person at the right time on the right bus. And if you could just gain confidence that God is with you right now, then all heaven could start to break loose. If we go forward 30 years and make a voyage across the Atlantic and cross the Golden Gate Bridge to North San Francisco in 1986, we'd find Steve Jobs, recently sacked from the head of Apple Corporation, sitting opposite George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars franchise, signing a deal to buy the computer graphics division of Lucasfilm for $10 million. He went on, renamed it Pixar, nine years later, created Toy Story, big cheer. 11 years later, Pixar that he bought for $10 million was bought by Disney for $7.4 billion. He was sacked, but he found himself the right person in the right place at the right time. And it's the same with you. Let's, let's uh, take the TARDIS to 26 Views Street, North Perth, to the town hall. And let's look through the windows because in this room, there's a whole lot of Da Vinci's. There's a whole lot of Mother Teresa's. There's a whole lot of Roses. There's a whole lot of Branson's, a whole lot of Wilberforce's. A whole lot of city shapers, a whole lot of nation changes. The spirit of Esther's in this room right now. And the thing that changed the destiny of the Israelite nation was that her friend came to her and said, surely you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And all of a sudden the penny dropped. She wasn't out of time. She was the right person in the right place at the right time to change destiny. I'm going to call it the Esther spirit. But it's pulsating in this room. And if you could grab a hold of it, it'll be the beginning of destiny and the beginning of the greatest years of your life. We are the sons of God, led by the Spirit of God, born for this generation, perfectly placed, perfectly timed, perfectly imperfect, perfectly rising. We sit in the crucible of providence, the seed of destiny on the bus of purpose. And we're not giving it up for anyone. I'm not moving for the spirit of fear. I'm not moving for satanic strategies. I'm not moving for anything. I am the right person at the right time, in the right place, with the right personality, with the right frailties, with the right gift mix. Everything's right about my life. And it's the same with you here today. This is what you'd call a massive setup. It's a massive stitch up from heaven. The most understated words in the entire Bible are from Ruth chapter 2, verse number 3. And this is what the Bible says in those verses. And you know, Ruth was uh, was a widow and she was following uh, Naomi, which was her mother-in-law, back to Israel, possibly to die through poverty. And the Bible says in Ruth chapter 2, verse number 3, it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out, it just so happened, another version says, it just so happened that she found herself in a field 
belonging to Boaz. Well, here's a distraught woman on the verge of poverty, recently sacked from life through the parting of her marriage, through the death of her husband. And it just so happens that she's gleaning from the field of Boaz. Now, if you know the story, Boaz became her husband. So the idea she just so happened is, is not true, but it's true. It was planned thousands of years ago by the Spirit of God. As God orchestrated the dynamics on earth, He'd already planned it before the earth had come to form. So it's just so happened, but it hadn't just so happened. And she became the wife of Boaz, and together they became the grandparents of David, King David. And then Jesus came from the line of David. This is not a just so happened, but it's just so happened it's that she was in the right place at the right time. And she was the right person with the right poverty. Everything was working together for good to her life that day. And you might think, well, it just so happened that I find myself here tonight. This is not just, this is not just an understated, just so happened moment. This is an overstated. You've been pulled and drawn by the Spirit of God. And everything in your past and everything in your present is working together for good because this is how God works. In 2005, Steve Jobs gave an open-air address in Stanford University, and this is what he said. He said, your time's limited. He said, so don't waste it living somebody else's life. Don't be trapped by the dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice, he said as a prophet. And most importantly, have the courage to follow your own heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. There's a spirit in this place, and it's called the Holy Spirit, and he is wooing you, and he is drawing you, and he's worked every fire and every flood in your past. He's working it together for good. That's how good your God is. Let me, take, let me back all that up and, and say that from the 13th century until now, each, is a, each of us have had 2.5 million ancestors, and each of them avoided early death by the plague, by war, by famine, and by accident. They're all kept alive because he destined you to become all that he wanted you to become. It's a miracle you're actually here tonight. Every one of your European ancestors, when, when plague, the plague came to Europe and killed 50% of its inhabitants, not your predecessors. They stayed alive. When World War I came and hundreds of thousands of, of Australians and Britons were, were killed on the shores of France, all except for yours. When World War II came and destroyed huge swaths of, of, of Europe and, 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 and so many people died, all except for your ancestors. You're a living miracle. God kept every one of them alive to the age of childbearing because he had a plan for you. And that might sound myopic, myopic it might sound self-centered, but it is true that God kept every one of them alive in order to bring about God's purposes for your life. Now, I want to say two things tonight. Firstly, it's not too late and it's not too early to achieve great things for God. You're not past your sell-by date. At 13 years of age, Michelangelo started his apprenticeship in sculpturing. 
Mozart got his knighthood from the Pope. 13. 17, Henry VIII became king. At 18, Tutankhamun died, having ruled Egypt for nine years. At 20, Bob Dylan released his first album. At 27, Walt Disney invented Mickey Mouse. At 28, Colonel Gaddafi Boo took control of Libya. At 34 years of age, Florence Nightingale started the modern nursing movement. It's 34 years of age. At 36, Mozart died at 36. At 39, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. At 43, JFK became president of the United States of America. At 62, Walt Disney produced Mary Poppins. And at 76, Winston Churchill became prime minister for the second time. It's not too early and it's not too late for every one of you in this room to do great things in God. You might not be born for importance like walking on the moon, but every one of you is born for significance. You're born to slice time in half, that you made a mark on planet Earth. They might never know your name like Neil Armstrong, but they knew your spirit because you rose up with a confidence saying, I'm not an accident. I'm not here by chance. I'm here by the sovereign providential will of God. Secondly, and this is the point I'm going to stay on for a little bit of time, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, it says this about you. It says, The race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. It says, But time and chance happen to us all. It's not talent that sets us apart, it's not wisdom that sets us apart. It's not being swift that sets us apart. It's not being strong that sets us apart. It's maximizing the opportunities that God gives to you that sets you apart. You are a custodian of an unusual set of divine circumstances. And like a balloon, you can't exchange it for somebody else's balloon, but you can blow that balloon up and maximize the call of God that's upon your life. Chances, opportunities happen to us all. There's a really successful British book called Bounce, written by Matthew Syad, who was the three times Commonwealth Games table tennis champion. And when he firstly started to write his book, he gave some reasons why he was so successful. And this is what he said until he scrubbed it out. He said that he came from an ordinary town, no silver spoon, no nepotism, no, fa no family favoritism, no special treatment, yet through pure talent and sheer guts, he triumphed against the odds. Then he realized it was a lie. And then he started to pull down the cult of talent. Because you think the world favors the talented or favors the strong. And then he looked into it and he realized there was five main reasons why he did well at table tennis. Number one, when he was eight, his parents bought a full-size tournament table tennis table. Why, he doesn't know. Number two, his parents had a house with a garage that could fit a full-size <laughs> table tennis table. And in England... That's almost impossible. Number three, he had an older brother, not too much older, a couple of years older. He spent hours dueling and battling around the table tennis table. 
if his brother had been five years older, he would not have been interested in his younger brother. He had to have a brother, not younger, not a year younger, but a couple of years older in order that he might reach maximum capacity. Number four, the sports teacher at his primary school, Mr. Charters, was the nation's top coach in table tennis. And number five, there was a table tennis club near his house open 24 hours a day. Now let me say it again. The race isn't to the swift. The future doesn't belong to the wise. The future doesn't belong to the talented. The future belongs to those who take the opportunities that God gives them. She gleaned the field. She didn't stare at the field. She gleaned the field. And Esther stood her ground in the face of great opposition and won a great victory. They lived at 119 Silverdale Road. Matt's brother went on to win three national junior titles. At 274, Karen Witt won Commonwealth gold. At 149 Silverdale Road, Andy Wellman was a hugely successful doubles player. At the bottom of Silverdale Road, Paul Trott was a leading junior. Around the corner from Silverdale Road, Jimmy Stokes was English junior champion. Alison Gordon was four times English senior champion. Sue Collier was English schools champion. There's more stars in Silverdale Road and just around the corner from Silverdale Road, they're now the other road in Great Britain. You're living on Silverdale Road. It's just to you, it's like any other road. But it's not. It's a road of opportunity. Sure, it's a table tennis road, but sometimes you reject table tennis in favor of netball or table tennis in favor of football. But if you actually look at it, there's an opportunity right under your nose right now because every one of you in this room lives on your Silverdale Road. You're the right person, the right place, right time, right road. You know, I find it fascinating about Usain Bolt that Usain Bolt has the DNA of a West African. But you know, no West African has, has won any major speed event in the history of speed events. It just so happens that Usain Bolt was born in Jamaica. And when you're born in Jamaica, you're born onto a running track. Because Jamaica became his Silverdale Road. And so he simply brought all of his enthusiasm to all of the opportunity that he had and he became the fastest man on earth. And yet, and yet those, those in West Africa with the same DNA have won nothing but simply situationally he maxed where he was. Usain Bolt is a champion not because of talent first. It's because he was on the right island first. And the Ride Island was the one that brought out the best of his talent. He was a custodian of an unusual set of circumstances. He took the opportunity. Your age, your background, your ability, your disability, your advantages, your disadvantages have all placed you on Silverdale Road. It's the road of opportunity. Stop looking for a football field when a table tennis table is staring at you in the face. It's the field of Boaz that's directly under your feet. Stop looking at what you haven't got and start looking at what you have got. Your greatest enemy is to compare and to compete against other people. When Steve Jobs was sacked from Apple in 1985, he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. 
And my desire is that you would say that about the failures of your past. Because he said, and this is what he wrote, the heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. And it freed me to enter into one of the most creative periods of my life. He embraced his failure instead of rejecting his failure. And it led him somewhere. He went on to create the greatest animation studio the world has ever seen. Now, vote your favorite. He created Toy Story. He created A Bug's Life. He created Monsters, Inc. Finding Nemo. Come on, permission to get excited. The Incredibles. (laughs) he created cars he created up (laughs) he created toy story 3 and we were slightly disappointed with toy story 4 but he created an empire that changed the value of his company in 20 years from 10 million dollars to 7.4 billion dollars Because this was his Silverdale Road. My prayer is that God would open your eyes to who you actually are. That you've been placed in a corridor of time, at a crossroads of time, for such a time as this. You're more perfectly positioned than you could ever, ever realize. God is more for you than you could ever think a God could be for you. You're not an accident. You're not accidentally placed here. God's far more intelligent than you could ever realize. And if you could just look and just see the name of your street, you can realize that great things can happen on a street called you. Now, I'm going to pull this up uh, with a um, story. It's like a bedtime story. And it's called The Stonecutter. And uh, maybe the keyboard player can come on up um, as long as you don't put everybody to sleep. Um, but come on up and just, and, and um, it's a story about a stonecutter. When you think this story is going on too long, it'll stop pretty shortly after that, right? So I'll just give you a little heads up because you're going to think, well, that's a long story. How much further it'll stop? <laughs> so everyone either lean back or, or lean a little forwards. And, um, and straight when I hear the keys play, I'll start telling the story. Once upon a time, there was a stonecutter. And every day he traveled to work and back again. He was very happy. And one evening he was on his way home and he passed the richest man house in the village and looked in the window and peering through the window he could see beautiful chandeliers and soft couches. Ah, I wish I was the richest man in the village, sighed the stonecutter. And an angel said, so be the richest man. And he was. And he lived in the finest of situations and ate the most expensive foods and slept on the sweetest mattress you could find. He was very happy. And then one day a prince passed by in a golden carriage with a canopy over his head drawn by four beautiful white horses. Oh, I wish I was the prince, sighed the stonecutter. And an angel came and said, so be the prince. And he was. He rode around in his carriage and lived the finest of lives. He was very, very happy. And then one day he looked up and felt the sun's rays beating on his head and he said, that sun is more powerful than I. 
I wish I was the sun. And an angel said, so be the sun. And he was, and he beamed down upon the world. He was powerful, and he was strong, and he was happy. Then one day he looked down and saw a cloud blocking the sun's rays from the earth and said, that cloud is more powerful than I. I wish it was the cloud. And an angel said, so be the cloud. And he was, and he blocked the sun's rays. And he felt strong and powerful and very, very happy. Then one day a strong wind came and blew the cloud away. That wind, he cried, it's more powerful than I am. I wish I was the wind. And an angel said, so be the wind. And he was the wind. And he blew across the world. And everything was shaken by his power. Everything except a cliff. It stood strong and resolute in the face of the wind. That cliff is more powerful than I am. I wish I was the cliff. And the angel came and said, so be the cliff. And he was. He felt very, very strong and very, very powerful. He was very happy. Then one day, as the cliff, he felt a tickling at his feet. A stone cutter was slowly but surely chipping him away. That's you. By the grace and by the sovereign power of God, he's made you a stone cutter. And what have you done all of your life? Wished you weren't. What have you abandoned every instrument that comes with a stone chip? Why? Because you saw the sun and said, I wish I was the sun. You saw Hollywood and thought, I wish I was in Hollywood. You saw your friends and wish I was my friends. You're a stone cutter. I can feel the penny dropping in this room right now. You are the right person in the right place at the right time. The world's not led by talent. It's led by providence and those who maximize their providence. The reason why the queen is the queen of England isn't because of anything she's done. She's the queen of England because of the failure of her uncle. And somehow through providence, it's all worked together to create England's greatest queen of all time. It's the same with you. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to His purposes. And if you could stop looking over the paddock and if you could start staring at the sign that says Silverdale Road, we're in business. You are a custodian of a very unusual set of circumstances. No one comes from where you've come from. No one's fought the trail that you fought. No one's had the hardships that you've had to face. No one's faced the winds that you've had to face. And God's seen every part of that journey. And tonight, He's found you in the field of Boaz. And if you could stop rejecting you, stop rejecting your field, we're in business. Time and chance right now. Opportunity comes to us all. And this is your opportunity to say, I'm going to love the skin I'm in. And I'm going to maximize who I am through the Spirit of God. You know, the, I don't know if you watch much sport on, on television, much, much um, international athletics. The people that, that often win the 10,000 meters um, are Kenyans. And usually a Kenyan comes first and a Kenyan then comes second. 
and usually Kenyan comes third. They led in an Ethiopian just so that they look politically correct. And then a Kenyan comes fourth. They've done a little survey that every Ken- that they've thought, what is this about Kenyans, about Kenyan DNA? But then they realized that no one from South Kenya has ever won a medal at any major sporting championship across the world. No one from East Kenya has ever won anything. A few people from Central Kenya, 90% of every winner has lived within 60 miles of a town called Eldoret. They thought, why would that be? Why would, why would 60 miles of Eldoret be their Silverdale Road? Why would that be? And so they looked into it and they realized that the schools are so far apart that every kid thinks it's going to take me forever to walk to school and back. So every child puts his satchel on or her satchel on and every day runs like an hour and a half. 45 minutes to school, 45 minutes back again. So that's, it's like nine or 10 hours a week. It's like 500 hours a year. It's like 10,000 hours before their 16th birthday. That's why an Australian 16-year-old on his PlayStation should not dream about long-distance running. (laughs) There's no chance. And you know they're running in high altitude. It's the Rift Valley. But the reason why the schools are so far apart is because of poverty, abject poverty poverty so the reason why they are the fastest long distance runners in the world is because of poverty it's created the world's greatest champions in long distance sport and I think even your rift valley is something for you to begin to love instead of hate something to begin to hug instead of reject because there's something in your rift valley that's there to create a champion out of you, that's there to unfold destiny out of you. Not everything in life is good, but God can work everything for good in your life. He can take the erratic and dangerous hydrogen of your past, and He can add the, if you could just add the oxygen of your faith, then we could create the living water of your destiny. Father, Strip this place of the spirit of rejection in Jesus' name. And strip this place of the spirit of competition in Jesus' name. Father, strip this place of the spirit of comparison in Jesus' name. And put a circle around every person, and I pray, Lord, that you'd light a candle, God. Put on Abba gold, play dancing girl, play something, Lord, to bring the spirit up of every person who's in this room. That if God is for you, who could be against you? And Father God, we thank you for a rift valley. In an unusual way, we realize that there is the spirit of a champion within us that would come from our rift valley. We thank you for our Silverdale Road. We thank you for the field of Boaz. And Father, let faith rise within this room, God. And turn the page from negativity into positivity. Let the spirit of faith open your hearts. Let the spirit of faith ignite. 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 I can feel it already. Candles that had burned out long ago are beginning to come alive again. The candles have always been there. It's just that they've been 
in the bottom drawer. They've been snuffed out by fear, snuffed out by jealousy, snuffed out by the length of the days of hardship you've been through. But I can sense now God creating a little birthday cake, saying it's your birthday. Well, it's not exactly your birthday, but it is the day that something birthed within your heart, a new sense of hope, a new sense of faith. 